0: Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the one and only Dan Z, and I am recording this on Wednesday, May 27th. Um, okay... And so we have Star Wars, the movie we have Star Wars, the TV movie. Uh, I'm, I'm counting the Ewok adventure there. Uh, <laughs> we have Star Wars, the Saturday morning animated show. We got droids. We got Ewoks, uh, you know, even get Star Wars, the holiday special. The less said, the better. Star Wars, the theme park attraction, uh, Star Tours. And then we had the various animated series, uh, Clone Wars, Rebels, Resistance. Uh, We've had Star Wars, the limited series uh, with the Mandalorian. And, you know, and again, Star Wars, the entire land uh, uh, at a theme park, uh, Galaxy's Edge. I
1: approve of about
0: 75% of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. But face it, as an intellectual property... Star Wars at this point has really kind of gone through the entire or virtually the entire entertainment industry food chain, Um, which is why I I guess it was inevitable that earlier today we all got to see a trailer for Star Wars The Game Show. Um, What did we make of Jedi Temple Challenge?
1: Well, it definitely has that 90s Double Dare vibe. I think that's obviously what Absolutely. they're going for. And I know that uh, some of the creators behind the show, mm-hmm. that was kind of their inspiration for it. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt it's going to be fun, and I have no doubt my son is going to wish he was a part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I am going to say it is a little bit head-scratching because until the announcement, this was always going to be on Disney+, Plus. so now it's going to be on the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, which is still great, but... I'm really surprised, and I would love to know why the Switch.
0: That's an interesting point. I had not thought of that. Um, and, and let's face it, when you look at the the production values on this thing, it, it definitely looks like something that was headed to Disney+. Plus. Um, on the other hand, they have, if you, you think about it, StarWarsKids.com, as well as the official Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, has been putting up um you know some fairly you know well produced high profile stuff i mean that that wonderful animated series they do where they do you know sort of deep dives on the individual characters i mean those are beautifully designed wonderfully animated um and and but at the same time um you're not wrong i mean if you look at the the season size there were only 10 episodes of Jedi Temple Challenge produced which you know if you think about it uh, that is kind of the business model over Disney Disney+. You get, what, we had eight episodes originally of the first season of The Mandalorian, and uh, don't we, in fact, have eight of the Disney Gallery Mandalorian I, shows? I believe
1: that's correct, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I, for me, it looks great. It has great production values, and... Uh, you know, and they describe the, the series that it, it will test young Padawan's strength, knowledge, and bravery in a series of trials designed to discover who is capable of becoming a Jedi knight. So, um, and I'm at
1: best looking quite dapper and striking as the Jedi slash game show host, which is pretty fun.
0: Yeah, no, 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 I agree, I agree. But, but anyway, uh, folks, if you want to check it out. Uh, it drops at StarWarsKids.com and on the official Star Wars Kids YouTube channel on June 3rd. Uh, they're going to start off with two full episodes. And again, if I have a choice between watching Jedi Temple Challenge and the god-awful uh, game show revivals that ABC now runs as part of their summer lineup, it's like, I'm, I'm in with the, the young Padawans. I'm going <laughs> Tell us how you feel. Don't mince words, please. I'm sorry. They're terrible. You know, (laughs) it at least looked fun. Um, By the way, uh, we were just talking about uh, Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, uh, which for my money just gets better and better. Did you see um, episode four, the one about technology?
1: Yeah, it's great because every episode is like a different... Spotlight on a different aspect of film, or or creating these stories, Mm. and it is just marvelous. I mean, there's there's something there for anybody, depending on what you're interested in. It's got it all.
0: Well, I I think for this this past episode, what struck me was, um, well, first of all, you know, the history lesson, you know, the whole notion of, you know, what George was trying to do with the prequels, and the fact that. Here's Favreau and Filoni actually able to finally do what George was trying to do. Um, but at the same time, they're using it in, you know, it's being used in service for the actors. I mean, I, you know, I, I know on a previous uh, looking at Lucas I told the story about going to the visual effects symposium and seeing the raw footage from uh, Attack of the Clones. And watching poor Ewan McGregor in just this great blue void, interacting with a, 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 an actor who had a, a basically a, a pole at the top of his head with a tennis ball on it, because that was the head of or the height of the the Camoians. Camanoans. Oh, uh, and that's the thing. Here's you know, here's Ewan in 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 his, in, in his you know Obi Wan Kenobi garb in his robe, standing in the blue void, making contact contact with the little blue tennis ball, because he wants the right height for the the um, you know, uh, for the eye line. And on the other hand, here you have the one that wonderful story that Carl Weather's was talking about about the season one finale of The Mandalorian, where they're on that boat. In you know that's that's traveling in the you know the canal filled with lava, and he's like you know it's like what's great about this is I know what I'm looking at I can react to what I'm actually seeing. Have you ever seen
1: on the solo Blu-ray the the making of when they showed how they got uh, the light speed sequences? Did you see that? No,
0: no, that's it's, not fascinating.
1: It's kind of the early. Part of that, and they had they brought in um, expert pilots and coaches to explain to Alden Ehrenreich and Yunus Watamo and everybody what the physics feels like to go at a certain speed in a jet, mm-hmm. and so they understood what the physics would look like and how they would feel on their bodies. And then they have a screen wrapped around the front of just the cockpit of the Falcon, mm-hmm. so when they're going to light speed, they're actually moving it and they can see the, the screen and the light sequence of, of basically the stars flashing past them. So that sense of wonder is, is somewhat realistic in Alden Ehrenreich's eyes when it's going on. It's, I feel like it's kind of the early version of this. So it's really quite fascinating.
0: No, I've got to circle back on Solo. Um, oh, uh, before we finish up uh, talking about Mandalorian, uh, we got uh, news back on the 15th this month that Tim Oliphant, uh, who folks may know from his work on Deadwood or FX Justified, uh is going to be joining the cast of the Mandalorian. Um my problem with with this is okay. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mandalorian season 2 supposedly finished production like the first week of March so it was it was you know that lucky series that managed to get, you know, everything in the can uh before uh You know, all of Hollywood basically shut down for COVID-19. Um So I, I, I guess I, because of the way this, this press release is written, I don't entirely understand if they were announcing that Tim Oliphant had already been cast and is in season two of The Mandalorian playing a yet-to-be-named character or... Because we, I want to say in back in April we learned that they were already beginning post-production on season three of Mandalorian. So is this them announcing that Tim Olyphant has been cast for a character that we'll see in season three? That's a good um, question.
1: I sort yeah. of assumed that it would already happen and it leaked after the fact. But I don't know. That's a very, very valid.
0: Well, but at the same time, you know, if you think about it, um, we didn't find out about you know Rosario Dawson playing Ahsoka Tana, you know the live actor here, yeah, till that was in the can. So yeah, I again, I'm, I I don't know. Um, oh, speaking of COVID nineteen and which face you know that that has disrupted a lot of things. Uh, Dan back in February and March, you and I were talking about how uh the impact that was having on uh manufacturing in mainland china which was a kind of a polite way to tell folks that maybe that you know the child baby yoda toy that you you ordered back in november that they told you would be in hate here in april wouldn't necessarily show up in april um i that said i am pleased to report that um in fact I, i know this from my sister andrea hi andy uh who I I visited her house just recently and she actually has the baby yoda the the, the plush version that that Disney was selling through Shop Disney uh and it's it's actually pretty cute it's it's a, a pretty good likeness and Oh well, it's adorable my
1: my son has one and he absolutely loves it we just got the the Hasbro Black Series no other 6 inch figures this one's probably barely an inch long because it's to scale of the Mandalorian and it's a big hit, I and mean, the the sculpting on all these things is really, really fun, but especially when you've got a cute thing like the child, I mean, that's that's merchandising gold, so it is nice they're finally able to get this stuff out into people's hands.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, but, but the downside is that, you know, I mean, this is still, you know, COVID-19 is still affecting all sorts of retail channels, and among those channels that's being hit pretty hard is publishing, which is why... Uh, you know, uh, uh, Lucasfilm Publishing made the difficult decision just this week to push back the launch of Star Wars uh, The High Republic. Uh, and, uh, you, know, just, I, you know, so originally, as I understand it, the first wave of this stuff was supposed to basically drop in August, right? And In fact, right. uh, at Star Wars Celebration out in Anaheim, um now what is as i understand that the plan is to push things back five months uh we now get the first books in january of 2021
1: Uh, yeah and it it was going to be like every month there was going to be a new release whether it was a new novel or mm -hmm. a young adult novel or one of the comic books was going to launch Mm-hmm. And now it's just everything is just kind of up in the air. And I can I can tell you exactly what the different date changes are. I have it pulled up right here, in fact. Oh, cool. So, um, Charles Soule's adult novel *Star Wars: The High Republic*, *Light of the Jedi*, and Justina Ireland's middle grade novel *Star Wars: The High Republic: A Test of Courage*, both now released on January fifth. Mm-hmm. Claudia Gray's young adult novel *Star Wars: The High Republic: Into the Dark* has moved to February second, two thousand twenty-one, and then the new release dates for the High Republic series on IDW and the High Republic adventure series are going to be announced at a later time. So, mm. you know, and Michael Sealand that you mentioned, uh, he has a great thing on stars.com where he talks about it. And I I personally think it's going to be, be worth the wait. I just, it's mm. unfortunate we got to wait that much longer, but you know, you and I talked about this, all the different books that are coming out and, and Drew's awesome book. And it all kind of got hit because of, everything going on with COVID. So I guess it's on, a little bit to be expected, but still uh, disappointing.
0: Well, again, I'm, I'm hoping that your star Wars book, the one you're working on with, with Mr. Horton and the bunch uh, is far enough out that this isn't going to impact that. That's still November, right? Or- October, October 20th. Ooh, okay. Yes. All right, Fingers folks, some candles, say some prayers. That's right. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Now, speaking, staying on the publishing side of things, Dan, tell me what you know about Dr. Afara. Afra. Afra. So, See, I I know nothing, but I have have just recently been introduced to this character, which folks, (laughs) for lack of a better term, have described as the anti-Indiana Jones. Yes. Um, So
1: Afra was created by Kieran Gillen. Mm-hmm. during the the marvel launch in 2015 of the canonical star wars comic books mm-hmm. uh her most of her i think her first 12 issues were with darth vader in them mm-hmm. they teamed up together and uh eventually vader tried to kill her and he thought that he did but she actually faked him out which is no easy feat and she almost died because of she launched herself into into space and was rescued and uh, so he would think that she was dead Mm-hmm. Um, but she's a fascinating character. Uh, I actually interviewed Kieran Gillen for stars.com, and he talked about how Indiana Jones was very much the inspiration, but she's sort of the, the bizarro version of that. And mm-hmm. uh, she has an interesting backstory where her she has a doctorate, but her her father was uh, not a nice guy and somehow got it so that her, her license was revoked, even though she still got the brains to take care of business. But she also has quite the criminal streak. Um, she appears a lot in Star Wars and, and she has to do, I think she's the one who tipped Boba Fett off mm-hmm. about Luke Skywalker's uh, lineage as far as he's the one who blew up the Death Star, not his lineage, but he who blew up the Death Star and kind of put Vader on the scene. Mm-hmm. And I think in one of the comics, she tips off the Empire of the rebels hiding on Hoth. And so, and then, but there are times when she teams up with Luke and Leia as well, again, this is all mm-hmm. canonical. So, she is a she's very much a wild card, but she's a huge, huge fan favorite. Okay,
0: she's also so,
1: uh, one of the first uh, public gay characters in Star Wars, too.
0: But this is all good. So, okay, as I understand it, there was an initial 40-book run uh, just wrapped up in December of uh, 2019. And now they're launching. Uh, Marvel's launching a brand new series. I, I, I guess. Uh, yes. Issue one just hit
1: right. store shelves, and and it came out electronically a couple of weeks ago.
0: Oh, okay. Well, anyway, it, people have been telling me I have to. You know, the the, the wonderful character, well written. Um, uh, but that said, what are your suggestions? You should I leap in? You know, because I, I guess the first run of, of forty comics has now been. Uh, there's a six novels. different graphic novels. Yeah. Um, should you know? Is there one you would recommend, or should I start? You know, I, mean, I start. I
1: start at the beginning because you've got her, and she's, you've got BT one, and and uh, who is uh, and uh, gosh, I can't think of the murder droid's name, but there's a protocol droid that teams up with her. Mm-hmm. um oh it's bt1 and triple zero and they're like kind of the very much the antithesis of 3p on r2 with a uh like to murder and torture and they are on her team as is a you call black uh I can't even pronounce his last name mm-hmm. but um I would definitely go with the first 12 because you can get to see her with bader and the writing is crisp because it's Karen gillen is one of the finest writers in comics and I, I think that's where you'll be intrigued by her and if you like it then just keep on going I definitely start with the Volume one of Karen Gillan's Doctor Ephra series.
0: Okay, all right. That that's that's high praise from you. So okay, I'll, I'll definitely go out and order that when we wrap here tonight. Uh, speaking of which, though, uh, after a recent looking at Lucasfilm, I finally ordered my copy of uh, the Art of Star Wars Rebels, uh, and just the other night was paging through the, this handsome two hundred and eight page hardcover. And I, I have to admit, it brought back really fond memories of, of this animated series. Um, you know, I still feel bad that we only got four seasons of it, but, but at the same time, I guess I shouldn't complain because we, we only got two seasons of Star Wars uh, Resistance. Right. Um, that said, though, I, I wanted to talk about something I mentioned, and this was a couple of months ago, uh, that there was some talk at that time, of Star Wars, uh, Lucasfilm Animation reviving Star Wars Rebels uh, for a new season or possibly a new series stepping out of the show. And um, I have to tell you, my source in this was was solid. Uh, They were talking about how the initial plan was there was going to be an animation panel at WonderCon in March in Anaheim and they were gonna you know release the info then and then of course that con didn't happen because of COVID. So this plan then got pushed off to Star Wars celebration in August, which we're still waiting on word about that, right? Um
1: Yeah, no been- nothing nothing's been said yet. I, I thought I'd heard that Uh, In California, they're they're starting to kind of put their plans together to open up things on their side, so that might uh, be telling in the next couple weeks. I mean, you would know more about that than I would, though.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing, that they keep talking about how, for example, Disneyland will open up in Phase 3 for Southern California, and it's just sort of like, so when do we get to Phase 3? It's like, okay, let me first get to Phase 1. But anyway, uh, getting back to Star Wars Rebels now, I have to tell you that, just over the past week or so, I've heard that this possible revival of that animated series has now been placed in the back burner. Um, and, you know, not saying that it won't happen at some later date, but the interesting thing is that now that Ahsoka Tana has become such a hot character on the heels of the huge success of Season 7 of Star Wars Clone Wars, uh, it, you know, face it, you know, we were just talking about uh, how uh rosario dawson was going to play the character uh in season two of the mandalorian and i i think you probably heard the same thing that i've heard that there's there's at least a script being prepped for a possible live action feature oh wow i didn't hear that no yeah Mm -hmm. um so anyway evidently the thinking inside of lucasfilm is that if you remember how Season four of uh, Rebels Left Off, where basically you saw Ahsoka and Hera fly off in search of Ezra. I mean, that was going to be a huge arc for, you know, if the animated series were to continue. And, you know, the whole notion is, you know, it would make much sense to tie up this character with such huge potential uh on just an animated series. And more to the point, Dave Filoni pretty much put a stake in the heart of Star Wars being revived anytime soon. I don't know if you saw the the interview he did at in May 6th with deadline.com No, I not,
1: I did not. Not until yep. we had spoken before the show.
0: Oh okay. Uh well uh, basically uh Deadline flat ass uh flat asked Dave is the effect of with Clone Wars over, do you think we'll see another season of Rebels? And Dave said, no, not really. I'm really happy with how that series turned out. And I feel like we got to tell a complete story there. In fact, uh, Dave then goes on to say that it was actually getting a complete story with Star Wars Rebels that made him pivot back to Clone Wars and think, you know, it would be really nice to feel this way about Clone Wars. And that's Sort of the impetus to get you know season seven uh you know back in production and up on Disney plus um, speaking of Disney plus though I have to tell you on the Disney side of the plus side of the fence um especially after how well season seven of Star Wars Clone Wars did you know the the what that did for the that subscription streaming service they're the ones who were really pushing uh Lucasfilm animation to reconsider what they've and, you know, they they'd they they do not want just, you know, Star Wars rebel, you know, rebels for season five. They want a season six and they want a season seven. So um, but again, with with Ahsoka Tano now seemingly destined for bigger things on the Lucas side, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking maybe, Dan, that ship has sailed. Um, I would say, and in story wise, I mean, it pretty much it leads
1: fairly closely into around the Rogue One area. So I don't really know what they could tell, but I mean, mm-hmm. it had to be a new era, or they had to pursue Ahsoka and Sabine going out to find Ezra, and undoubtedly they'd they'd find um, Thrawn too, since they are all kind of on that same thing together. So um, I mean, I would sure be you know absolutely thrilled to watch it, but I don't know. It, it's this is such a weird time because you don't know what they had planned on how much uh, COVID has kind of thrown things off the rails.
0: No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, anyway, folks, going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, uh, Dan and I are going to pay tribute to another Star Wars pioneer. Okay. We're back. Um, I, Oh, before we get started here, Dan, <laughs> um, did, did you, See the story that broke earlier today about, uh, I guess, Colin Trevorrow's version of, of Episode Nine, Duel of the Fates, the screenplay or, or good no? Movie? I
1: I generally with that and like the the Snyder thing, I I typically try to re- resist looking into that stuff because I just feel like if that story they wanted to tell, that's one we would have seen. And um, but uh, I know a lot of I guess there's even animation like that a fan made for all this anyway. So, but i mentioned to hear your take.
0: Well, uh, th- we're only going to focus in on, on one particular moment here. And that's, uh, of course, uh, General Hux, uh, who, you know, in Rise of Skywalker, uh, we learned that, you know, he was actually a, a spy for the resistance and not for any particularly noble reason. He just hated Kylo Ren. Uh, and you know, and, and we saw him exposed as a double agent, and you know, we saw you know Richard E. Grant's character basically you know execute him at point blank range. I, I'm hoping everyone who's listened to the, listening to this podcast has seen Rise of the Resistance because otherwise, <laughs> yeah. totally spoil the movie. Um, interesting thing in in Duel of the Fates, um, Hux had an entirely different fate. Uh, you know, they as they describe the, the, the film's finale uh, as it was going to be depicted in in this version of Episode Nine. Uh, Hux ri- realizes that the Battle of Resistance is now lost, so he retires to his quarters, and you know he opens sort of the secret panel in his his apartment, which is filled with all of these weapons, and he selects one out of the pile and. It's a lightsaber. Again, the, the reason I tell this story uh, is that um, when it, just before uh, Hux offs himself, he lights up the lightsaber. And it's one of these things where it's like, oh, Colin Trevor, oh, you clever thing, you. Uh, the blade is purple. And face it, you know, if you know your, your especially from the prequels, if you, you know your Star Wars history, there was only one Jedi Knight who had. Uh, a lightsaber with a purple blade and that was a uh, mace window and it's sort of like okay so how did you get that and you know it's just you know it's, evidently he put that in there Colin put that in there as a, a breadcrumb to you know for Star Wars fans to debate endlessly you know after they they watch Duel of the Fates and we would have yes yeah we would have we would have so Um, anyway, um, okay, um, on, on our last looking at Lucasfilm, uh, Dan and I talked at length about Bill Wallen. Uh, He was the gentleman who created a lot of the promotional and advertising, uh, the materials that we use for the promotional campaigns for the original Star Wars. In fact, we, if you remember folks, we talked how about how Bill, was the guy who who created the descriptions of of Luke and Leia and old Ben Kenobi, uh, which, you know, went out to newspapers and magazines before the movie was in theater. He was actually the guy who got to introduce uh, these characters to the world or, or, you know, was passing along the first descriptions so that those of us who were reading, you know, the newspaper articles ahead of going to the movie. It's like, okay, so who's this hermit in the desert? Um, But the, the interesting thing is that Bill worked for Bill's boss at uh, Lucasfilm uh, was Charles Lippincott, who just passed away this past week, Um, was 80 years old. He had actually been living up in Vermont uh, with his wife, Bumpy. And in a lot of ways, you know, Charles is responsible for, you know, a lot of the ways that we we know Star Wars today. I mean, for example, in nineteen seventy six, well ahead of the this, the this, this film being released to theaters, it was Lippincott who thought to take Star Wars to San Diego Comic Con. You know, and you know, you know, I and mean, I'm sure you've you've heard about that panel, Dan, where it's just and again, this is back. You know, when you know you could basically home. You know, hold Comic Con in a phone booth. You know that—that's how few people were attending at that point.
1: Oh, this um, is this is a this is a classic, a classic story. It's, it's almost taken on a mythological
0: mm-hmm. kind of feel. Yeah, and and at the same time, it, it's interesting that we, we were just talking about the new uh, or Doctor Afra. Did I get the right? You okay. got it. Here we go, first try. Okay, uh, you know we've got the the new comic being launched by Marvel. But the interesting thing is Charles was the guy who figured out that, well, if we really want to let people know about these characters in this film, you know, let's talk to Marvel. And, and so they, they're they the ones who put together the comic book that was released out ahead of the film. Uh, Charles is also the one who we, we talked on an earlier, looking at Lucasfilm, about Star Wars characters turning up on the Richard Pryor show and Johnny Marie. That was Charles as well. Uh, and uh, on the other hand, one of the reasons that George Lucas, you know, has that giant pile of money, you know, uh, up at Skywalker is Charles was the guy who actually went to 20th Century Fox and insisted, you know, we have to copyright each individual character. You know, that it wasn't a question of let's copyright the film. We, We have all of these characters. And in fact, he talked about, um... You know, you have to remember that at that time, only Disney was doing licensing of characters for films. Yes. And, you know, Charles was one who thought, no, this is this is finally the property where we can do this. And so he convinced Fox to spend the money to copyright all these characters, which is why they are, you know, worth what they are today. Um, And that's probably he made Lucas probably billions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, he had a love of the film, you know, and he recognized that it was special and that it needed this sort of, you know, this sort of treatment, you know, and, um, and, and in a lot of ways, the one of the reasons that the film took off the way that it did is in 77 is that Charles has kind of masterminded, um, you know, this promotional campaign that made it stood out from the pack. Um, so Anyway, on, on, on behalf of uh, Dan and myself, uh, we want to extend our sincerest condolences to Mr. Lippincott and his family, At the, uh, you know, uh, especially at the time of sorrow like this. Um, for sure. And mo- most of what a lot of what we love about Star Wars is because
1: of his vision and his his boldness and his master plan and, and how well he worked with George Lucas and with 20th Century Fox. So we're very grateful. You mentioned uh, Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. There, there's a this great sign, one of the first promotions they ever had for Star Wars,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that he brought to Comic-Con. And Steve Sainsweet from Rancho Obi-Wan actually purchased that. And he yeah. has that at Rancho Obi-Wan. So pretty cool.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Um, by the way, folks, if you want to learn more about Charles Lippincott, uh, there was a book written and released last year called Star Wars Memories, My Time in the Death Star Trenches, uh, it was written by Craig Miller, who was the original director of fan relations at Lucasfilm. Who he, he's actually the guy who uh created and ran the official Star Wars fan club back in the day. And evidently uh this book has all sorts of wonderful stories about Charles and you know the work he did with Craig to, you know, promote Star Wars back in the day. So uh you're looking for Some additional, you know, shelter-in-place reading, uh, you know, chase that down. Uh, Anyway, forgive me. uh, It's going to be kind of a weird transition here, Dan, uh, because I know you love this movie. (laughs) You know, I know you love I I like it. I really like it. I love the experience of the movie. Okay. We're talking about Star Wars, a solo story. And, you know, the interesting thing is that uh, we just, I want to say earlier this week, celebrated the second anniversary of its release to theaters. That's right. Uh, and on that occasion, um, a number of petitions popped up over at Change.org. In fact, just before we recorded tonight, Dan, I went over and take a look. There were four separate petitions at this point, And they're all asking that Lucasfilm consider making Solo 2 um which you know i mean face it the the film did end in such a way that it did you know there was a potential there for sequel sure uh you know so disney plus
1: stories, at the least
0: yeah yeah um but you know and forgive me for saying this but on the heels of the news that came out this week about the Zack snyder cut of justice league um uh, uh, HBO Max has decided after, again, like a bunch of online petitions from, from fans, uh, that they're going to allow Zack Snyder to go back and work on this movie, uh, which, if you don't know the story, uh, you know uh, Zack actually shot Justice League from April of 2016 all the way through October, uh, and he was uh, working on a post-production of the film when his daughter Autumn Uh, a 20-year-old student at Sarah Lawrence, uh, she committed suicide. And Zach tried to soldier on for a couple of weeks, you know, know, did sort of work through his grief, but uh, eventually it just got to be too much. So May 23rd of 2017, he steps away from doing post-production. By the way, his wife, Deborah, was also a producer on... um, uh, Justice League, and, and she too stepped away. Uh, they 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 went home to grieve and try to heal and take care of their other seven kids. So that, that's that's a lot to deal with. Um, but anyway, after they left, uh, Josh Whedon stepped in and uh, was trying to finish the film, to finish a uh, post-production. Uh, but what eventually happened was that uh, as they were cutting the film together and Warners really was insistent about they wanted, they wanted a happier film. They, they were especially concerned given how dark, uh, Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice had been previously, and the complaints about that. They wanted Justice League to be lighter, funnier, kind of an Avengers movie. Um, and so Josh came back and said, "Look, I, I can't do that without doing reshoots." So in July of 2017, they did two months of reshoots, um, and this is where. The paths kind of diverge, folks. Because if you talk to Zack Snyder, uh, he insists that the thea- theatrical version, um, uh, g- g- the one that was released to theaters of, of Justice leagues only contains a fourth of the footage that he shot for the movie. Whereas if you ask Charles Roven, uh, who's the producer on the film, he's like, no, 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 no. It, you know, the Justice League is eighty-five percent Zack stuff and 15% new footage that was shot by Joss Whedon. Um, Anyway, so that arrives... It makes you
1: surprised that it's coming out if there's that much uh, kind of discrepancy between the two.
0: Well, but here's the other thing, you know, that that, um, supposedly the very first assembly of the movie, and it's just literally when you take everything that you've shot and put it together. The first cut of this movie was five hours long. Wow. And and then the head of of Warner Brothers was like, "No, no, 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 no! You know, we are not releasing. You know, uh, you know, this has to be two hours long. It's an action film. It's a superhero movie. You you have to cut this thing down. So there's a lot of footage. There's a lot of stuff that w- that was done that did not make it into the movie. So, um, and and that's the thing. Supposedly, uh, Warner Brothers, in cooperation with HBO Max, has agreed to basically give Zack Snyder it's 20 to $30 million, depending on who you talk to. But the interesting thing is that, you know, that I guess there are some former executives at Warner's is like, God, that's wishful thinking. He's going to at least need 40, you know, to finish this thing off. But, uh, the well, idea Dark side is-, is in it too, right? Hmm? Dark side is in it. He's
1: basically DC's equivalent to Thanos.
0: I, That's my understanding. The problem is that the script was in so much flux during production that characters were in, characters were out. I mean, that's the the thing I think is going to be challenging here is that, you know, yes, there's five hours worth of footage, but what story does it tell? You know, which version are we getting here? Um, Anyway, um, so the idea is that, that he'll go off into an editing bay He'll, you know, I I don't know if we're talking about, you know, because again, entire chunks of this evidently are shot storyboards or visualization animatic. And, you know, he's got to get some more finished work done there. Uh, But eventually we'll see this on HBO Max. But I'm assuming, in fact, Dan and I were kind of pre-gaming about this uh, before we recorded tonight, that I would bet that, you know, the end result is going to be kind of a Mandalorian, a limited series of you know, four, five, six episodes that that then tell the story of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Anyway, the reason I I bring this up is that, okay, Solo, a Star Wars story. Okay, uh, they begin pre-production January 30th, 2017. Principal photography, uh, and this is the original version, folks, with uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller directing. Um. Again, principal photography begins February twentieth, continues at least through May, and then there's a pause. And on June twentieth, Miller and and Lord leave for the 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 famous, you know, Hollywood, you know, catch all excuse creative differences. Uh, Six days later, uh, Ron Howard shows up uh, and begins assumes the role as director. They continue to shoot uh through october uh october 17 2017 and you know then at that point they go into post and like i said it, it shows up in theaters uh may 2018 now supposedly ron reshot 70 percent of what miller and lord did um so you know forgive me for asking this dan but that would mean a good chunk of the the you know uh Phil Lord Chris Miller take on solo is done or, or at least it's in raw form somewhere you'd think so yeah yeah and you know I, I and again i i don't want to gossip here but basically uh what well what was being heard from the set was that and remember that, that this is, you know, uh, you know uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller were talking about, you know, the, the very famous for, you know, what they did with the Lego movies, how loose and funny those were. And that supposedly the Kazdans, uh, you know, uh, Jake, you know, and, and his dad were upset, you know, they were on the set and they were watching Phil... Uh, and Chris basically encouraged the cast to be loose and funny that they, they wanted this film to have more of a I- improvisational feel. They, they, the conceit was that this was the early days of Han Solo before he was a confident rogue that, you know, in fact, um, I, I I've heard them explain that, you know, their conceit for the whole film was that wonderful line from Raiders, where you know that you know that moment where Indy, Indy's Sala, you go get a truck, you know, you, you know that Marion, you get get horses, and it's like, what are you going to do? So like, I don't know, I'm making this up as I go along, and right. the whole notion that that you know this is Han Solo in the early part of his career when he literally is making it up as he goes along.
1: This is um, to me. This
0: is the challenge
1: with this kind of a thing. It's that. Uh, because there's a very, very l- a loud minority of folks who, if they don't like something, they continually complain about it and complain and make petitions on billboards, and you need to change this because it's it's not my definition of what I think the story should be, so it must be changed, which I think is a kind of a, a tricky attitude to have. So if mm-hmm. we get into a place where everything is open, like if I were an artist and I was making a movie or a book or a miniseries, And I knew that everything I did could be completely undone because a lot of people complained about Mm -hmm. that, I think, is sort of a Pandora's box that we don't want to open.
0: I I have to say that I I do agree with you on this point. You know, I mean, there's, um, you know, I mean, face it, there's. There's movies like Orson Welles, The Magnificent and Ambersons, who you know that 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 got taken away from him and edited together by the studio, and they did reshoots, and people have always wondered about what that film would be like, and it's that sort of restoration where you're you're going back to uh, you know a master filmmaker's original vision, I can get behind. Um, whereas something like this, you know, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I, I'm fascinated by what. Yeah, you know, uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, uh, yeah. you know, would have done with Solo. I, I'd love oh, me to too. get a peek at it. I don't know if I necessarily need to see the whole movie they were envisioning. Um it's like we got you know, to see Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut, and it was yes. fun. It was a very, very different
1: film, so it was just kind of a fun mm-hmm. alternative. You know, earn uh, a few more dollars for the studios, but overall, I mean, these, I mean, I mean, I think it's wonderful the kind of manpower and the Unification and the passion that people have to do that.
0: And again, this is why I love doing this this, this show with you. <laughs> you know, it's you're the strong one of us too. You're you're, you're the one where, eh, I don't know what you what with Duel of the Fates was about. Uh, you know, I I don't want to have things spoiled in advance. You know, me, I'm on the <laughs> other hand. I'm the rotten kid who reaches under the Christmas tree and grabs the presents and shakes them. You know, just sort of. Like, <laughs> Well, I, I guess at this point, I mean, I, but but circle back to what you, you said earlier w- with with the people who are putting the petitions, you know, up on change.org about, uh, you know, Solo. 2. I, I think you're right that, that at this point, um, I, as much as I'd, I'd like to see Alden, you know, continue on on the character, I kind of prefer that they go the limited series route. I'd love to see an extended story. Wow. before um. Red You know, and and and, you know, forgive me for saying this, but, you know, on the heels of seeing episode four of The Mandalorian, um, you know, I got to say, that's where a lot of the really good creative work seems to be going on right now in Lucasfilm. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I don't necessarily think it would be a step down. Um, you know, for them to do a solo project over there, I mean, hell, I'm, I'm, I'm that's one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to the Obi Wan Kenobi limited series because it's like if they do what they did with the Mandalorian and deliver that level of quality, um, this is going to be amazing. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all for the you know, uh, you know, that the, you know, take solo two and you know, take it over and do you know, do it as limited series. Hell, there's that Josh Trank uh, Boba Fett thing that was mm-hmm. supposed to get made. um that off, bring that over to Disney Plus. So, anyway, but I'm sure you talk about this sort of stuff all the time over at Coffee and Kenobi. Uh, you know, uh, and and speaking of what have you been doing lately with Coffee with Kenobi?
1: Yeah, on Coffee with Kenobi, last week we celebrated, of course, the 40th anniversary of the Empire Strikes Back, and I had. Steve Sansweet, the uh, CEO of Rancho Obi Wan, on he uh, his collection really kind of kicked off with the Empire Strikes Back, even though he really, he, Star Wars is, of course, where it started. Mm-hmm. So he talked about that. He talked about his time with Lucas film. Uh, we talked about some of the behind the scenes of the film, and then we talked about some of the collectibles and the marketing. It was an absolute blast. So that was really great fun on Coffee with Kenobi, which, of course, you can find all over wherever you can find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, all that good stuff. And then every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash coffee with Kenobi, you can join me for Facebook Live. And it's been great fun. We do top fives this week. We're coming up with top five favorite Clone Wars, uh, clone armor designs. And I think eventually this is something I haven't revealed on the main show yet, but I'll reveal it here. I think I'm going to do sort of a book club thing where every week I'm going to ask people who tune in to read a couple of chapters of a book, and then we'll kind of discuss it together. And it'll be like what it might be for my students to sit in on my classes if I was teaching them a Star Wars novel.
0: Oh, very cool. Um, do you think you'll do nonfiction there, or will you stick with with mostly you know like the books that are coming for the High Republic series?
1: No, I think I think nonfiction or fiction, just anything, even stuff that was written well before the canonical Star Wars line of literature was going on as well. So I, I think anything's on, on the table. And if you don't mind, I'd also like to plug my weekly star Wars.com columns, teaching
0: with star Wars this week. I talked about Qui-Gon Jinn's I just saw role that again, you are do you are kicking butt with those things. I, you know, yeah. you know, I, I so enjoy how you're able to, to, you know, again, you have such an interesting take on the films and the fact that you're able to make them at the teachable moments. Uh, it, it and again, I won't lie, I do get a thrill seeing your name at StarWars.com. It's like, hey, I work with that guy. <laughs> I so, appreciate that. I do, too. Thank you. So, all, right, all right. Well, I and, and, and again, my side of the fence, you hear all those wonderful professionals on things. And I got what? I got Disney Dish with Lentesta. I got Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor. Uh, what else? I got? Uh, Universal Joint with Dustin Hughes. We're going to be recording a new show with him shortly. Uh, likewise, I want that with Michelle Valladolid. Uh and you know that 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 just got easier given that just today they opened uh, the World at Disney uh, at, at Disney Springs in Orlando. Did you see they had six hour lines to get into that store?
1: Oh, I know it is really something else. Wow.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. We're all trapped at home, but I, you know, there's just a part of me. It's like you know you can get that stuff on Shop Disney, right? (laughs) Without leaving the house. But I guess the whole point was they were leaving the house. Um, Anyway, and of course, there is Marvelous Disney that I do with Aaron Adams. Uh, He's the gentleman who edits the podcast around here. Um, Okay, folks, uh, tell you what. If you could do Dan and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and not only rate and recommend Looking at Lucasfilm but also Coffee with Kenobi, uh, that would be very, very helpful. Uh, likewise, uh, if you like what you're to here uh, tonight, if you could head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. Dan, I don't think you mentioned your Patreon show, though.
1: Oh, no, I didn't. Thank you for bringing that up. It, it's uh, CWK Pro. It is our weekly show where we talk about Oh, gosh, anything that kind of comes to mind. We do do some Star Wars. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we ranked all Star Wars films from number 11 to number one, which I'd never done before, which is great. And then last week, we literally ranked our top five favorite breakfast cereals, and it could not have been more silly or fun, and I think kind of a great escape from what's going on in the world. So be sure to check that out if you get
0: the chance. Okay. I I, I have to ask. Number one, breakfast cereal? I, I think I said... A peanut butter,
1: Captain Crunch cereal.
0: <laughs> and you lost me. I had all of this respect for you when you had to go the peanut butter route.
1: It's mean. very fluid. It's a very fluid list. And I also tied it with Lucky Charms, which is not related at all.
0: Well, again, you have to understand, I'm a diabetic, so breakfast cereal is it's a, a, on a far-off shore. I, I can't have it. Uh, but ugh, peanut butter. I'm sorry, peanut butter, lunch food. Not breakfast food. Right? <laughs> just I'll just take you know, yours. I okay. There you go. I'm happy to hand it off. You know, just sort of, you know, that that's. I'm sorry. That's that, that, very much a, a peas touch moment for me. And peanut butter does not belong in the breakfast group. Okay. Uh, okay before we close up here, uh, social media. Where can they find you online, Dan?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Zehr. M R Z E H R.
0: Okay. And on our side of the fence, Nancy wants to get to tell you folks that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And I guess that's it for now. So thanks for listening, folks. And Dan and I will be back with a new show in two weeks.